Let's talk about alignment. This is a topic that will get a lot of yoga teachers fired up. Some yoga teachers center their entire teaching technique around alignment, and others argue that it does more harm than good, and students should be encouraged to explore asanas in an open-ended way. In this episode, I'm going to unpack my understanding of these different perspectives on alignment and do my best to bring some clarity and some nuance to the conversation. Before I get into the nerdy details, I'll share a little bit about my own journey with the concept of alignment. You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. When I first started teaching yoga in 2005, I significantly increased the amount of time I spent doing asana. I was part of a yoga culture that favored a athletic, bendy, kind of performative yoga practice. And while I was encouraged by my teachers to practice daily at the time, I was not given any education on progressive loading, recovery, or principles of exercise science in general. So around the time I first started teaching, my joints started to hurt because I was putting them under more load and more stress. And when I learned to apply alignment to my practice, the pain went away And as a bonus, my capacity to do fun, fancy, difficult poses increased. And I assumed that because it was working for me, it would work for me all the time and it would work for everyone else too. It's kind of a natural extrapolation that happens. What I didn't understand, because I didn't have that background in biomechanics or movement science, exercise science, was that novel loads and novel stimulus have a bigger effect on our bodies, which is why a beginner student sees major progress in the first few months of their practice. In that same way, alignment worked really well for me in the beginning until it didn't. I was spurred by the culture I was in and the expectations of this approach to yoga that had helped me get out of pain, right? I was teaching a style of yoga that was very alignment focused, but also very achievement focused. And I kept trying to use alignment as a tool to push my body into more and more difficult poses. And this was very much the sea I was swimming in. It was what everybody around me was doing. It was expected. And the belief system was that as long as I was in alignment, then it would be healthy for my body to go as deeply as I was structurally able to into these shapes. I remember one time I was attending a class with a very experienced teacher who was teaching a deep but not complicated backbend, and they were convinced that they could help me do it correctly, that I had not been doing it correctly, that's why I didn't like it, that's why it hurt me, and they could help. I felt this sense of hesitation. I remember making the decision to trust them and it didn't work. I was in excruciating pain for two weeks in a way that I had never experienced before because in the past, I had used my own pain as a signal to stop. But this teacher convinced me that no, I just had to do it right and then it would not hurt. And I actually ended up 
really being injured in a way that I had never experienced before, debilitated, prevented from my normal activities of daily living, prevented from my asana practice. And that was a huge lesson. In fact, that was the experience that convinced me to retire deep backbends altogether, that they did not need to be a part of my practice. Now, the funny thing is that deep backbends were a big part of what got me into yoga. The feeling of euphoria after doing a wheel pose is part of what enticed me into my practice. But after that experience, I switched my focus from being flexible and getting into deep poses to getting strong. And I switched from studying asana from an alignment perspective to an anatomy perspective. Through studying anatomy, I learned as much about how human bodies differ from each other as how they're the same. And as I dove deeper into these studies, I also began to realize how important the nervous system is when considering any aspect of function or dysfunction in the human body. When I taught alignment-based yoga, I felt like I had a lot of clear answers. This is the right way to do it. This other way is wrong. Now, we were taught to use words like less optimal, less safe, or misaligned, but there was a clear subtext that it was wrong and dangerous. An anatomical approach is a lot more nuanced, and it does require that we invest time, energy, effort in learning about the human body, which is complicated. There are a lot fewer black and white answers, which can be frustrating. But ultimately, the study of anatomy points us in the direction of humility and compassion, which is very much in alignment with the philosophy of yoga. The biggest challenge I see with misunderstanding the place and the purpose of alignment is that notions of safety and correctness get confused with aesthetics and just the description of a shape. I don't think we need to throw alignment out the window, but I do think it's helpful to understand the intention behind any alignment cue and also its limitations. Within the context of a yoga class, the types of things that yoga teachers focus on in the name of alignment include foundation or the placement of hands and feet, joint stacking and centration, hip hinging, or joint differentiation, such as hip hinging. There are probably other categories of alignment cues that I'm missing, but these are the ones I'm gonna focus on in this episode. We'll talk about them more a little bit later. Zooming out a bit, the Oxford Dictionary definition of alignment is arrangement in a straight line or in correct or appropriate relative positions. So, from this definition, alignment is definitely about arrangement, and that arrangement is either relatively appropriate, correct, or in a straight line. So let's unpack these three possible sub-definitions of alignment, because I think they go a long way towards explaining how the focus of alignment can go wrong in yoga. These three definitions have very different implications for a yoga practice, but they tend to get conflated with each other, often with unfortunate outcomes. Let's start with the first one, appropriate relative positions, because I think it's the best of the three when it comes to informing how we practice asana. What I'm hearing from this is that alignment is about the relationship between different body parts. Now, the part that gets a little murky is the word appropriate, because it begs the question, appropriate to whom? Appropriate for what? 
We'll dive deeper into those questions later in this episode, but first let's visit the other two definitions. Correctness is a concept that's useful in the context of a field like math or science, where the lack of it will cause your entire project to fail. And there are other contexts where correctness helps us communicate, like language or anatomy even. But correctness in a discipline like yoga is beside the point. There are as many ways to correctly do yoga as there are human beings practicing yoga. It's an individual practice. But we're so indoctrinated into the superiority of correctness that it it will sneak into our practice without us even realizing it. For most people, the only place correctness belongs in a yoga practice is when we question or disrupt the concept of correctness. There is no correct way to do asana. And I think you'll find as a teacher that your students are going to walk in the door with the assumption that there is. So part of your job as a teacher is to help dispel that notion, which is kind of a big task, but an important one. The final definition of alignment is to arrange in a straight line. This definition is expressed in the preference for linear alignment in yoga poses. Linear alignment can be useful sometimes, but my experience is that it's way overemphasized in a lot of yoga classes, even ones that don't claim to focus on alignment. So while there's nothing wrong with linear alignment, I think there's a lot of value in pushing against the idea that linear alignment is correct because it's just one way of doing things. And as we'll see later, exploring multiple ways of doing things is probably more valuable than figuring out the correct one. So to set some context for why I am recording this episode, I did a quick Google search to find out what yoga teachers are saying about alignment and why it's important. And by the way, I'm not cherry picking these quotes. They're the top hits I found in my search at the time. So I think they're a pretty accurate representation of how alignment is being described in a yoga setting. So these are direct quotes. When the bones are aligned, the wear and tear of gravity is much less. Having good alignment keeps your joints in their proper positions. This produces optimal muscle performance, which translates to power. In addition, it helps prevent your spine, joints, and muscles from getting into awkward angles and positions. Proper alignment of the body puts less stress on the spine and helps you have good posture. Good alignment allows you to move smoothly and efficiently, enabling you to enjoy your body both at rest and play. Efficient posture for the task at hand depends on your body alignment. Alignment reduces the wear and tear on your muscles and joints, thus helping you to prevent injury. So again, those were quotes I found on the internet from yoga-specific sources talking about alignment and why it's important. Let's unpack these talking points. The basic themes that are coming up are safety and avoiding injury, muscular power, avoiding awkwardness, avoiding stress, efficiency, enjoyment, and reducing wear and tear. Safety tends to be front and center when teachers describe the benefits of alignment to their students. And in the context of alignment, these notions of safety are intimately tied to some of the other intended benefits, such as avoiding stress and reducing wear and tear. One reason that alignment is described as safer is because it invites motor control and keeps joints in a more neutral position. If you're gonna be putting a lot of effort into your asana practice and you haven't built up tolerance, then alignment is a way to moderate the load. However, what I think is super important for yoga teachers to understand is it's not the only way. When you understand 
load and progressive loading and principles of exercise science that I was referring to earlier, then you have the context to understand that alignment is one tool, but it's not necessarily the right tool for the job in every situation. A focus on learning alignment forces you to pay really close attention to what's happening in your body, which can be a great learning experience, especially for people who don't have a lot of background in movement. For people who are sedentary, even a small dose of movement is going to encourage positive adaptation. So teaching alignment helps to keep stress within a positive range. However, it's important to recognize that stress isn't always bad. Stress can be positive or negative. What matters is the dosage for the individual. Exercise is healthy because it stresses your body in a way that causes your body to adapt. Progress or growth is, by definition, adaptation to stress. Now, if you have too much stress, that's when injury happens, but not enough stress, and you will begin to atrophy, you will lose function. So we definitely don't want to walk around being afraid of stress or influencing our students to be afraid of stress. That actually causes more stress and not the positive adaptive kind. Here's the thing. If we focus really diligently on alignment and try to do our asanas the same way every time in this ideal of alignment, the same movements are actually going to provide less and less results, less and less stress. And that might be fine. You might be using your asana more like a maintenance activity than a growth activity. But if you are approaching asana as a progressive practice, if you're trying to grow through your asana, get stronger, get more flexible, whatever your specific physical goals are, we're staying in the realm of the physical right now, then the only way to keep adapting within the confines of alignment is to get more and more extreme with the postures you're working on. So if you are a really diligent student working on your postures regularly, you might become more at risk for wear and tear injuries because you're doing your postures the same way each time. And you're missing out on a huge range of potential for growth and adaptation that's available outside the confines of traditional alignment. As long as you are doing your poses progressively, then it's perfectly safe to do yoga postures in many different forms of alignment, right? We talked about alignment being the arrangement of your body parts. Well, you can arrange your body parts in tons of different ways very safely. Let's switch gears and talk about efficiency. It's an interesting concept when it comes to yoga asana because within the context of movement, it means the least effortful way to execute a specific movement. And I don't think most yoga teachers are teaching alignment with the intention of helping their students use less effort in their poses. Most of the time, alignment tends to increase effort rather than reduce it. If you're working on a pose that is super, super difficult, alignment might be the most efficient way to get there because it might be the only way to get there. But the concept of movement efficiency in asana doesn't quite fit for me because I think we're usually using asana as a means to an end rather than an end in and of itself. So to judge efficiency, you'd need to start by knowing the end result you're going for. And maybe alignment's gonna be the most efficient way to get that result. But it's probably not accurate to make a blanket statement that efficiency is a natural outcome of alignment. Another stated benefit of alignment is muscular power. I think it's related to efficiency because it shows this bias towards asana 
for the sake of achieving asana. Now, if the goal were using asana to build muscular power, there are so many other activities that do a better job, like sprinting, jumping, boxing, Olympic weightlifting. So we must be talking about muscular power in the service of achieving more difficult asana, which is fine. If you enjoy pushing yourself to achieve difficult asana, which I do often myself, if you enjoy pushing yourself to achieve difficult asana just for the joy of doing something difficult, alignment may help you get there. The invitation here is just to be really clear on why you're practicing asana, and there can be many reasons, and practice in a way that is in alignment with that goal, pun intended. Two more stated benefits to look at, enjoyment and avoiding awkwardness. Enjoyment, I think, is pretty self-explanatory. If alignment helps you enjoy your yoga practice, then that is awesome. The key here is, as a yoga teacher, just to recognize that what brings you joy may be different from what brings your students joy. You can definitely teach what you love and how you love to practice and attract the students who feel the same, but you can also weave flexibility and self-agency into your classes so that you invite your students to prioritize joy in their asana in their own way if the joy is what's important to you. This last one of avoiding awkwardness is a little more complicated because I think asana is inherently awkward. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing. We're putting our bodies into awkward positions and learning to breathe, get comfortable, and be a little less awkward there. Now, I do appreciate that beginners tend to find asana especially awkward, and sort of like stress, I think that there's a appropriate dosage for awkwardness in our asana practice. If alignment helps them feel more comfortable, then I'm all for it. And over time, as we build a level of comfort in our bodies, then we might experiment with more awkwardness. From my personal experience, alignment is most useful when I'm working at the edge of my capacity. So if I'm practicing a posture I've never done before, I haven't done it in a long time, or it's a stretch for me physically, then I feel alignment is my friend. I want to invite you to be aware of why you're teaching alignment and to share this why with your students. Help to dispel the impression that alignment is always safer or better or correct and empower your students to make decisions for themselves about how much emphasis to put on alignment versus some other places they might focus during their practice. Because alignment is a tool that could be used to deepen your yoga practice, your sense of presence in the moment, or it can take you out of that and away from that. And that's really the question to ask ourselves as yoga teachers. Am I teaching in a way that invites my students into this experience of yoga in this moment? Or am I teaching them how to make cool shapes? Before I wrap up this episode, I want to get a little bit more specific about some alignment cues and unpack how the same cue might be useful or harmful depending on the context. Let's start with the foundation or the placement of hands and feet. Paying attention to hands and feet is useful for proprioception or your awareness of your body and space. For example, when we align our back foot in warrior two with the back edge of our sticky mat, that's something we can see, we can adjust it easily, and we can get a sense of our own bodies. From a biomechanical standpoint, even postures like warrior two that we think of as being pretty simple 
are actually relatively complicated. And many beginner students don't have the body awareness to track everything that's going on all at once. So when we give them landmarks outside their own body, that can help them locate themselves in space, build body awareness, and give them the freedom to do some of that deeper work of yoga. Another benefit of a carefully aligned foundation that most people don't think about is it helps a teacher scan the room and observe their students more efficiently. Imagine if all of your students in your class were facing a slightly different direction. It would take a ton more brain power to process how they're doing because it's just much more complicated. So back when I was teaching at the Y and I would have like 50 plus students in a yoga class, being really clear about my foundation instructions helped me to be a better teacher. It helped me to be able to process what was happening with my students more quickly. However, in the context of a small group or a one-on-one session, then foundation may be less important. In retrospect, I'm actually pretty embarrassed as I remember how I used to nitpick about my students' foundations without really understanding why it's important. It was just kind of this general, you build the pose from the foundation up. So if the foundation is off, the pose can't be well aligned. And now I know that there's so many different possibilities for good alignment, for arranging our body parts in a way that is supportive of our goals. The next alignment concept I wanna explore is joint stacking. Joint stacking tends to support stability and power, strength, endurance, so it's often very positive, but it's not always the right choice. In a similar way to foundation, joint stacking gives you some external cues to help you find your body. It's also useful in balancing positions, especially inversions, where both your stability and your proprioception are challenged. For example, in handstand, stacking your shoulders over your wrists and the rest of your body over your shoulders is really essential for learning to balance and progress. Another example is warrior two. A lot of teachers urge their students to keep their front knee positioned directly over the ankle. For some people, weakness in the glutes on that side, on that front leg, can cause their knee to drift inward towards the midline of their body, looks like a caving in, and this could throw off their balance, could also be uncomfortable. So keeping the knee over the ankle might be a really good cue for helping them locate a stable position. At the same time, a lot of teachers also specifically cue not to let the knee come forward of the toes in warrior two. It's true that a warrior two with the knees beyond the toes doesn't look as good. Knee right over the ankle looks more symmetrical. It looks more even. It's more pleasing to the eye. But there isn't any functional reason to keep the knee from coming forward. The knee is designed to withstand your body weight in all positions from fully extended to fully flexed. So this translation from aesthetics to safety often gets infused with anxiety on the part of the teacher because they don't fully understand why they're teaching it that way. They've just been taught that themselves. They also lack the perspective to judge when it's useful and when it's just extra talk, not helping anybody. One example of when joint stacking can actually be counterproductive is side plank. Often here, yoga teachers cue wrist under shoulder in side plank. But if you do that, try to put your arm out to the side or maybe even go into side plank and, and check it out, you need wrists that bend all the way to 90 degrees to do this. And a lot of your students won't have that much 
flexibility in their wrists because what else are they doing in their life that requires it? So stacking wrist under shoulder in side plank, you're putting all your body weight on one wrist. It can be painful, uncomfortable, not fun. However, if you move your hand forward a bit, it changes the angle of the wrist. And for a lot of people, that's just more comfortable. Now, the same thing is true in tabletop. If you cue wrists under shoulders in tabletop, you're asking a big range of motion of your student's wrists. It's less so than side plank because the weight is distributed across both wrists and also your knees are down. But this is a great example of the importance of asking yourself, why? Why is this alignment cue important? What is the purpose of it? The final category of alignment cues I want to touch on today is joint differentiation cues. Joint differentiation is the ability to move one joint without moving an adjacent joint. And the prime example of this in yoga is the hip hinge. In the hip hinge, we try to keep the lumbar spine neutral and do a hinge from the hips. We tend to focus on the hip hinge in yoga, I think partially because it's a place that a lot of people lack body awareness. So I think teaching the hip hinge and paying attention to it is great. But there's often a lot of safety concerns wrapped up in the hip hinge that might be causing more harm than good. A common scenario for teaching the hip hinge is a standing forward fold. When you cue a hip hinge in a standing forward fold, for me, the primary purpose would be about helping your students feel the stretch in their hamstrings instead of their back. A lot of times there's confusion. There's a lack of body awareness that causes students just to go for the external shape rather than the feeling. So if we're trying to stretch the hamstrings, keeping the spine more neutral can help us do that. However, students are often taught the hip hinge with the context that it's safer than rounding the spine. And for most people, that's just not true. It's a normal human movement, and it's a relatively low load. Although, again, depending on their movement history, it may not be comfortable. It may not be great for them. But it's not something that warrants a lot of panic and concern and especially projecting that concern onto our students. For most people that show up in a yoga class, rounding their spine in a standing forward fold is fine. And if someone has issues that prevent them from being able to safely round their backs in a forward fold, they probably shouldn't be in your class. The main condition where spinal flexion is a concern is osteoporosis. And if somebody is at risk doing a rounded spine forward bend, you're not gonna save them in a hip hinge because there's probably a bunch of other things in your class that aren't appropriate for them either. I think joint differentiation is wonderful for building body awareness, and it's also useful for increasing strength, precision, and control. So if those are important values for you, and if they're in alignment with your goals for your class, then I hope you will continue to teach the alignment of joint differentiation, including the hip hinge. Okay, so that's everything I wanted to cover today. As a recap, alignment is about the arrangement of the different parts of our body in relationship to each other. Some of the stories about alignment that we unpacked in the episode included whether or not it helps to avoid injury, build muscular power, avoid awkwardness, avoid stress, increase efficiency, increase enjoyment, and reduce wear and tear. We also went through three components of alignment, foundation, joint stacking, and joint differentiation. 
and talked about some different contexts when those are useful in a yoga class and when they may be distracting from the actual goal of the class. I hope that this exploration opened some doors for you and inspired you to stay curious and continue your study of the beautifully complex human body. Personally, I love alignment. I use it frequently in my asana practice. And I also love breaking free from alignment sometimes and experimenting with different ways to move and be in relationship with my body. If you're looking for a yoga-specific way to learn anatomy, I highly recommend Anatomy Bites, which is a three-year anatomy program with my friend and colleague, Dr. Libby Hinesley. Most of the anatomy I shared in this episode, I learned from Libby or from Jill Miller, who I also recommend highly. I'll share a link to both of those in the show notes. As always, thank you so much for listening, and thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.